Oh, hello again. It's so nice to be joined by you. I say that like I'm ex I can experience or sense that you're there. I can't, of course, but I'm imagining that there are thousands of listeners around the world listening to our voices for another installation of Witch Car Weekly. Welcome to all of the best bits from Bauer Media that we couldn't get around to during the motoring week. Um, I am, of course, as always, joined by some fabulous people. And it's one of those weeks, I'm very happy to say, when we've got the old band back together. Yep, the three amigos are exactly. here. Exactly. Do I need to even introduce you? Probably not, but I will anyway. Associate Editor of Motor Magazine, Scott Newman. Hello. And Deputy Editor of Wheels Magazine, Andy Enright. Guten Abend. Oh, okay. That's a no guess. No prize for guessing where Andy's been. Again. France. <laughs> <laughs> no one understood a word he was saying during the whole time he was there. It was really weird. Uh, today, gentlemen, we will get into all our usual topics. Um, one of the things I can't wait to talk, to talk about is uh, Andy's latest hotel mishap. Oh, no. Which he seems to come back with one every time he's been abroad. On today's chat... I think he's doing it deliberately. <laughs> Do you reckon? Yeah. He's Do trying to get himself into trouble. He's trying to get ejected from every major hotel chain in Europe. It gets to that point. It gets to the point where you've heard so many of Andy's anecdotes that you do start to wonder whether he, he, he just gets himself into these situations. Yeah, he's a troublemaker. And long may it, may it continue, because yes. it makes great podcasts. On today's chat, upsetting the opinion apple cart, the era of the evil industry, and all-wheel drive. All right, all a load of bollocks. We're getting very good at these, Dan. You make, don't make it sound like it's a, you know, it's that's any new thing. I've always been good at them. Okay. Yeah, that's my job. If you think so. Yeah. <laughs> what you can't see uh, on an audio recording is the look that Scotty just gave me. Um, all right, let's get stuck into it, gentlemen. Um, opinions are like motor journalists. Assholes. No, wait, that's not how the expression goes. Is Explicit it? warning. Okay, yeah, we're off on the right we'll foot already. on this one. Um, okay, Andy, this is yours. Now, you were recently on an overseas trip, but you can't say with who or for what, because such is the embargo. But something you can talk about is a revelation you had while away with this um, nameless brand. Yes, um, I was with a certain German manufacturer, and... Uh, they talked to me about their embargoes for when we write stories. Now, in case you're not aware, when we go away on a press launch, we tend to go in a phase and there'll be people going before us and people going after us. And to make it fair on everybody, the manufacturer will normally say, you can't write anything until a date, maybe four weeks in the future. So that allows you to get back, write all your stuff, and it all appears on the same day and they can manage that process quite well. Now, this manufacturer revealed to us that their global embargo lifts after the US and Europe have driven the car. Right. But before many Asian markets get to drive it. Right. Now, that seems slightly unfair. And I asked them why they did that. And the reason they gave was the established media affects the coverage of emerging markets. In other words... Yeah these Asian markets are afraid to go against what has already been written by American Ooh. and European oh. journalists. So much for the fourth estate. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's not good, is it? No, um, exactly, not. that's really bad. And it, it got me thinking, this is not just something that we direct at Asian journalists. I think this is something that can often be directed at motoring journalists in particular. There, there's there's mm. a groupthink thing going on amongst motoring Sheep journalists. Mentality. There is. Um, you know, you go to a, a press launch, you see the car park, and there are 
205 GTIs, 911s, VW Up GTIs, Jimneys, Land Rover Defenders. MX-5s. MX-5, yes. Mm. Motoring journalist cars. And uh, yeah. they all think along the same lines and they're often afraid to step out of line. So the question I wanted to ask you guys is... Is your unpopular motoring <laughs> opinion? Well, we're good for this because we don't have an MX-5 or a 911 or anything, do we, Dan? You've got a E36 318iS. I do. And I have a Nissan R31 Skyline. Yeah. Both of which are probably a bit unloved, need more TLC than they probably receive. But yeah, yeah. Nandy, you've got a bicycle, haven't you? And, <laughs> and a Golf, a Golf 7. Oh, a Golf 7. Oh, yes. there you go. Yeah. Hey, that's great, actually. So we all own good cars. And yeah. as far as I know, no one else who is an Australian motor journalist owns one of those. No, no. So I can't think great. Of any. We are. So what? What I'm saying is, we are well stood to comment on this because clearly, demonstrably, we are not thinking like, as you said, sheep. Yep. Who wants We're to go wolves? First? So come on then. Other than obviously just the cars we choose to own, how else are we? Who wants to go first? Who you are, or me? I will, I will, because I suspect you're both going to disagree with mine. Ooh. This is not the first time I've been vocal about this. I'm very happy to talk about it. You're going to talk about Alpine and Alpine again, aren't you? No. Is there an M word coming, Dan? No. No. Oh, hang on. Ah, yes. (laughs) There is. (laughs) Come on. Out with it. Okay, I knew this one. Right. Ford Mustang. Yep. Um, The pick is... Oh, you're not going to be able to say what I think you're about to say. The EcoBoost. The what four, utter tosh. The four-cylinder, <laughs> the four-cylinder turbocharged Ford Mustang EcoBoost is the one you should buy. Well, not the V8 That's quite GT. a topical opinion because earlier today, the high-performance EcoBoost is no longer. Yeah. The, the high-performance 2.3L was confirmed for Australia, which has a bit more power and some juicy chassis bits. Still yeah. not as much as a, a Focus RS. Though. No, no. Um... So that might be, maybe your opinion will hold a little bit more weight after we've driven that one, but currently it holds about as much weight as a bloody <laughs> anti-gravity cell. Would you like me to go on? Yes, yes please, please do. Good. Dig, dig a little bit further. <laughs> I will argue about this until I'm blue in the face, and we don't have enough hours or minutes in the podcast, but yes, I will go on. So, um, you, you can look at this very simplistically and say the GT has more power. Um, which is one way of evaluating a car, having not driven it. And most people who say the GT is best best have not driven either. Um, it is simply an emotional response to looking at specification on paper. Have you, have you actually driven the car, though, you would know that the EcoBoost has a far better weight distribution than a massive uh, eight-cylinder engine right up in the front of a Mustang, right? That's the first thing. Mm. Its handling is indisputably better indisputably better sorry all right first thing second thing if it was my car and that's what we're talking about here if it was mine the first thing i would do is i'd be on ebay i'd stick a naughty rash exhaust on it and a big turbo and it would make probably about the same amount of power as the gt anyway Mm. and it would probably be a damn sight more reliable because as you know scotty when you Mm. put it on a track the thing shits itself yeah well it would be reliable until you put your massive ebay turbo on it and then you'd blow it up again. nonsense absolutely nonsense <laughs> no because we know what that engine can do when it has a cosworth head on it and it's under the bonnet of a ford focus rs and it's amazingly reliable so there we are the reason all those engines blow up no it's just because they had dodgy head gaskets once they sort that it's fine yeah it's true very very, very well. oh look i'll give you the fact like the eco boost is a fine car it's just yeah i There's guess no... under the, under those rules 
that's fine if you're not going to go stock for stock because but the big the big problem with the egg group is it's as slow as a wet week. It's not. I mean, by by what standard? Just the, by comparing like with the last the GT. one I performance tested was pulling like 152 k's an hour trap speed, which is what you'd get out of like. It's not much more than you get out of like a Suzuki Swift Sport and stuff like that. Okay, all right. I, well, I'd, I'll take Dan's view that it's better on the way into a corner, but you'd want the V8 on the way out all the mm, time. And, maybe and, you and need not, to have a variable. The, you know, they're doing these variable compression engines. Yeah. Maybe you need a variable displacement engine. The now. weird thing, the weird thing with the EcoBoost for me was that. It just ramps torque really, really quickly and across a very, very small range, whereas mm, it drops you've got a bit to play with. I don't yeah. know whether new well, I mean, we, fixes that. We had the cars back-to-back at Bang for Your Bucks recently on a wet track, and I've got to say, on a wet track, the EcoBoost was a massive amount of fun. Except, if, like Andy says, if you get it sort of over the limit, when it's, it goes really, really quickly. It can take some yeah. catching in the car. But, yeah, I mean, but on a dry surface, it's just... I don't know. I think the argument... Is a bit tricky now that the V8 has really good tyres on it, Pilot Sport 4s, yeah. 4S, whereas the EcoBoost doesn't. Though, again, that'll change with the new high comp- You know, it's an interesting one. Like, the EcoBoost isn't without merit, but it's just... What's the saying? All mouth and no trousers or something? Like, <laughs> well, I mean, now you've just embodied me in you know in a nutshell. Oh, so, yeah. and, and you know, any, more, me. any more unpopular opinions here? Oh, yes, of course. Um... I mean, I've got to think about cars having too much power. Like, I think the McLaren 720S, for instance, would be a better car with, like, I think I wrote in the review, like, if that car had 200 less kilowatts and an, and an Atmo V8, it would probably be a better car. Right. And yeah. yeah. The C63, the current, last time I drove a C63, I was a bit like that as well. It's like you spend so much of the time in that car trying to get it pointed in the right direction so you can actually use 700 newton meters when it's only got, relatively small rear tyres. Yeah. yeah, I think that car needs if a If that car drive. had... Yeah, or, or just like take the power at like 325 kilowatts and 600 newton metres, you'd probably have a more enjoyable driving experience. You'd feel like you were getting more out of the car rather than just hanging on. That's um, the, the same theory applies to one of my favourite cars, um, and that is the uh, last generation BMW M6. Uh, so yeah. the, one, the one that got the 10-cylinder. Um, oh yes, and the problem with that car is it made 500 horsepower, and mm. and to get 500 horsepower out of it, you had to rev it to the to the red line, and when you did that, you were doing 400,000 miles an hour. <laughs> so so what you needed is a V10 that produces 200 horsepower, so you can ring it out to the limit, get all that sound, which is what it does best, yep. and yet you're not killing children in yeah. the process. But I, I mean, it's unpopular because people just go, "Oh, no, you stupid! Oh, you just of course you want more power. More power is great, but like not it always, becomes no. a." It becomes a point. Where, that's Which, where these strangely new... enough is one of the arguments that people use when talking about the Mustang yeah, GT. That's true, yeah, but then we've got these new electric hypercars. They've got two thousand horsepower. It's like, who cares? I've got a whole series of unpopular opinions here. Um, <laughs> I like the turbo flat four in the Porsche seven one eight. Yeah, not bad. That's, a, that's yep. a nice little engine. Um, I'm I on side with you. That I don't miss the the uh, two point seven six. Uh, I hate old minis and Land Rover Defenders. I think, <laughs> I think they were once okay. Now junk. Uh, <laughs> I love the just I've, driven, roll <laughs> I've driven an old Mini, and that yeah. was superb. So I'm not sure I'm on board with that one. There are only, Defenders, yes. The there Defender are only cult. very few cars in which I'll tolerate a manual gearbox. Oh, oh right. So select, you call yourself a motoring journalist. Yep, there are a, a select few that I think, yep, that can needs we, a manual. Can you tell not, us a couple? Like many. a Land Rover Defender? <laughs> that, needs bur- that needs burning. Um, <laughs> MX-5, 86, yep. that sort of thing. Um, I, w- I wouldn't even have one in a... In a Cayman or a, or a nine. That's a conversation for another day, I think. Yeah. At what point do cars become too quick to have a manual? All right, we'll okay. come back and we yep. will do that one. Here's one that will get people uh, setting fire to my house. <laughs> I never drove a Ford Falcon that I liked. 
Oh, <laughs> rubbish. We know you have a soft spot for the AU. Uh, that's a good one for another day as well. Um, and uh, finally, you a, powerful, pikey. Yeah, a powerful engine would ruin the Ford Ranger Raptor. Oh, that's yeah, a good yeah. one. Might be on board with that one as well. Yeah. Yeah. Can we just go back and revisit all of these for a full length, or do we just keep going now? I, I, I was going to add another, the last one, and uh, I thought this would get me flogged, and it was that Daniel Ricardo is more of a tryhard than Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> and, and then today, uh, I find out that they've done that Drive to Survive oh, yes. Netflix show at Hockenheim, which was an utter disaster for Mercedes. And Lewis Hamilton has come out and said, I won't be in the Netflix show much because I was sick the whole time. I won't allow them to release that. So he's <laughs> had a bit of a prima donna moment and dug his heels in. It comes to them all in the uh, end. Yeah. Do you want to run through those quickly? Like a Daniel, 30 sorry. seconds each? Or just... I think we should, really. Yeah, okay. yeah. Far away. Even if Andy. it means kicking one of my talk topics off yep. the end of the show. I think this is great. Let's get stuck into it. Right. Go back to the start of your list, please. The Porsche 718 flat four. Right. Yeah, fine. That yep. got a right kicking when it came out. And yes. then after a while, people went, oh, this thing's... All right, but oh, can I interject that? Because recently yes. I just did a story about uh, we did performance testing on the base 718 Cayman recently. It did 4.38 seconds to 100 and a 12 six quarter or something like that. So I performance tested the last one to so the 2.7 you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. That did 5.8 seconds to 100 wow. and 13 it's seven or something. So faster. in one generation, that car has taken like a second and a half almost off its acceleration. And, you know, figures aren't, any, aren't everything, but it's suddenly a base poor sports car has some real kick to it there's another reason that the four cylinder in the box turn came and works so well and that is it's the engine that should always have been in that car now i yeah. argue that the problem was the boxer started with a flat six and as soon as you do that you've got a 911 sat right next to it also with a flat six mm. and people go oh well it's a poor man's 911 isn't it yeah. if it had always had the four cylinder there would have been significant separation and people wouldn't have made that association. So it should always have been a force on it, and people wouldn't be having that argument right now. Wasn't that part of the rationale why the 718 badge was yeah. introduced? Because the original one was a four cylinder. 718, 718, yeah. RS60, or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. Um, uh, and the two litre. I like the two litre more than the 2.5. Yeah. Very, very different. Not, not a lot in it, but yeah. it just seems like a bit of a sweeter engine. Um, old minis and Land Rover Defenders. Junk or jewels? What do you think? Uh, love the old mini. One of the original Cooper S was one of the coolest cars I've ever driven. Uh, Defenders, don't get it. Never driven one, don't really care to. Every time I've been in a Land Rover Defender, it's injured me or, <laughs> or torn my clothing in some, a, in some way. Yeah. That give it like 400 horsepower in a V8, which just seems ludicrous. It's just, yeah, I didn't get it. No. I have a bit of a soft spot for the Defender, but that's because I'm a pom and I grew up in mm. like muddy parts of the UK. So here I think you just go, well, I'll just get a Land Cruiser. Well, that's the thing. The Land Cruiser is Australia's Defender, yeah. definitely. Yep. Okay, yep, great. Next. Um, manual gearboxes. Oh. Tricky one. Like, I'll, what? I'll, Hang on. We've not given them enough chance to argue this here. Why? You can't just leave it open ended like that. Mm. I mean, what? What? Why? So you're saying that you wouldn't have a manual gearbox a majority of the time over yeah. an auto? Yeah. Why? I think, I think they're inefficient, um, often a pain in the ass on a day to day basis, and you know it's. It's just an interaction with the car that, for me, doesn't reward a great deal. I so know, you want to drive I know, I know how to drive a manual gearbox. I know how to heel and toe. I know how to do all this stuff. It's just doing something. So I, you're I, I'm not the, getting a lot from it. You're one of this increasing number of people in the world, not just Australia, that wants to travel everywhere in your own vehicle feeling like you've had a stroke. 
because nothing on the left side of your body does anything. <laughs> right, great. Okay. Oh, I was going to say, break. you don't have to be, you know, you get these comments that say, oh, you're not a real driver if you don't use a manual. It's like, well, Sebastian Loeb isn't any less of a driver or Lewis Hamilton <laughs> because he doesn't operate a third pedal. Like, if the third pedal was there, he'd be amazing at using that too, but he just doesn't need to use it. So I don't really buy that. But on the road, particularly in this day and age, I don't know. I mean, manual, I mean yesterday, like, humble brag, but I drove the... I drove a stock R32 GTR, and that that was really part of that car. It was like, not particularly quick, but just the feeling of changing gears in that car was a real intrinsic part of it. Whereas, I think it's a, I think that one's a bigger topic for another day because it so depends on yeah. what the car is. And I, all right, I, yeah, you know, I can see the appeal of the manual in an R32 GTR, yeah. but you wouldn't want one in an R35, would you? That would just be no, crap. no, I don't. Yeah, no, that's why I think it's a bigger topic. That one. It's exactly the same for the range of Toyota Hiaces I've been driving the last couple of weeks. <laughs> really? Yes, yes. The twelve-seat commuter bus with mm-hmm. an auto, rubbish. But now the short wheelbase diesel I just jumped in with a manual is fantastic. It's Ooh. got a diff wine and everything. Nice. It's a real driver's van. Always fantastic. trying to one up us. Yeah. And what was the? Is it the last one? The um, Never drove a Ford Falcon that I liked. Oh, that's another one for another day. Just... Oh, I can feel the seething oh, on the other end. Setting the internet in Milton. Yeah. Well, one more to add to the list while we're mentioning, you said one of the few cars you would drive on the manual gearbox is the MX-5. Yep. And that, of course, is the source of another uh, polarisation of most journalism opinions. Um, when that car came out in its current generation, they offered two engines, a 1.5 and a 2-litre, both naturally aspirated four-cylinders. Um, and it divided most journalists. And... A 1. lot of journalists. What? One point five was better. Lies. Absolute lies. <laughs> now it's, two liters better because they did to the two liter what they should what they did to the one point five. No, but even appearance. before, even before it had a higher rev limit and a bit more power, um, it the two liter was better because nah. It, nah. <laughs> you're short of RPM. It was a coarser engine. It was. But is it? No, but why do you need that RPM when it's producing more power at that speed than the 1.5 would when we're talking about the because it's making a less enjoyable noise it wasn't as fizzy it's just it's just you're just a puritan <laughs> no i'm a purist <laughs> nah if you're a purist you'd want the 1.5 it looks like i've got the casting vote here yep two liter ah! <laughs> no, the new the new one in particular is, is yeah. really really yeah, good so now, you, now they've done yeah. what yeah now they've done to the two yes. liter what they did to the 1.5 the two liter is the pick absolutely yeah. but uh, yeah okay all right we'll have to agree on that one then and the 86 is a lovely thing with a with a manual gearbox as well. Yes, yes. Um, what, well, what, what was the one you just said? Oh, Ford Falcon. Yeah, I'm, oh, we'll preview that for another time. But yeah, the first Ford Falcon I drove, I was very... Well, the first new one. I grew up driving Ford Falcons and trying to get them not to kill me. Um, yeah, the first FPV I drove was a bit of a disappointment. But yeah, maybe another one for another time. Because it'd be interesting for you guys who didn't sort of necessarily grow up with that Falcon... Commodore Falcon yeah, rivalry yeah. to get your takes the first time you drove one, the first time you got sort of indoctrinated into the Aussie car culture. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, and it's a different thing. I'm just just an aside. The first HSV vehicle I drove, new vehicle I drove, I I was amazed by. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is yeah really unexpectedly competent. <laughs> I thought the same. The colonies do quite a good job. I thought it, was exactly the size of a, it was the size of a tectonic plate. Why but... on earth don't we have vehicles in the UK that are more than six litres with supercharged? <laughs> oh, that's right, because petrol costs about a zillion dollars a litre in the yeah. UK. Not free like it is here. Best Falcon I ever drove was Steve Pizzati's ute that, oh, I, that yes. I moved house with. It was brilliant. Oh, uh, dear. 
anything else left on your list? List? Oh no, I, I had a, I had those those unpopular opinions. Um, but uh, the Ranger Raptor, bigger engine. I totally agree with that. Yep. And the reason for that, um, forgive me if I'm completely uh, hijacking your argument or point here. You could only do. Ford had a choice to make with that. They could do spend the money on a, a suspension system and a chassis that is second to none, or they could make it with a few sort of cheap, swollen arches and put a massive engine in it. They could do one or the other. They couldn't do both. And if they, because if they did both, it would be over a hundred thousand dollars, and no one is going to buy a Ford Ute that's cost no. more than a hundred thousand dollars. I think the way supercharged Fiat, but anyway. Yeah. So also you you. You are going to jump the thing, and if you've got a really powerful engine, you're going to launch it into low Earth orbit. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I think I think you're right. I think for me, they they chose the right way. They chose suspension over engine was a good good decision. Yeah. But I do drive that car and go. I just wish it had like the, you drive an Amarok with that 200 kilowatt diesel, which is quite berserk in an Amarok. But in a Raptor, that engine would make, just make so much sense. It'd be mm. better for towing. It would make it. It would you know. It's really slow, that car. It's, like, really slow. Yeah, it's, like, 0 to 112 seconds. Or yeah. Something, Should we say a mildly quicker engine, then, but yeah, not, not I, a V8? Yeah, that's thing. I don't need, like, I think a, a twin-turbo V6 in it would turn it into an utter basket case because yeah. it wouldn't have enough tyre or suspension to handle it. But I think, yeah, a pokier diesel would give it Yeah, I think it's safe to say fangs. it has to still be a diesel, definitely. Yeah. 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 And a six-cylinder yeah. diesel would be lovely and smooth and talking. Well, the next it. one will be a joint operation between Ooh. Amarok and Ranger and VW and our Ford. <laughs> Hopefully it'll get the best of both yep. worlds. But whilst I, was, whilst I was on this event with this German manufacturer heading back there, um, I stayed in this rather uh, hot hotel in uh, in Dusseldorf at the airport. <laughs> I know and, where uh, this is going. I it, it. It, it was entirely glass on one side and the air conditioning had completely failed. And in case you haven't caught the news, uh, Europe had just been hit by this heat wave where it was 40 degrees. And in Germany, they were only ever geared up for, you know, 28 degrees and mm, they were all yeah. stripping off and, and dying. Yeah. And so I got to this hotel room. I opened the door and, it, it you know, my eyebrows instantly singed off and all that sort of stuff. It was, it was like Hades. And I, I thought, I can't sleep in here. It's just horrendous. So I opened the door and started waving the door into the corridor. That wasn't doing anything. Then I noticed there was a door to this outdoor lawn on the fourth floor of this hotel that I, that I could open up, a full glass door. I thought, okay, we'll get some air coming through there. That night, I went to, went to sleep on the bed and uh, just sweating profusely and I woke up at three o'clock and you know that thing where you're you're half awake yeah. um you think you know what's going on here it was is there a huge bloke with a jean jacket and a mullet standing at the end of my bed <laughs> no <laughs> what no yes <laughs> Had you, had, I'm not, had you ordered him? <laughs> I'm lying on the bed in my like, like little baby blue bonds pants. That's, oh, and I, thought, I, I thought, oh, this is this is not good. So I got up and quickly realised that the guy was completely off his nut. He, he was gone, and so I, I kind of rotated him and steered him back out through this glass door that he that he'd lumbered through. So was he drunk or like drugged? I'm not sure. I gave him this sort of gentle push. And it was like. He fell to the first floor. (laughs) (laughs) It was like he was in space. He just kept going in a straight line into the darkness. The world's first zero friction human being. Yeah, it it was just bizarre. And it just continues my run of bad luck in hotels. How you dreamt it? I don't know. No, no, he, he was there. Okay. What was his name? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, but then they're firm friends on Instagram. <laughs> That's right. Um, 
Scottles, yes. Tell us about evil car companies. Oh, evil! It's one of those things that we always used to, you know, they always seem to be fairly wholesome organisations. Mm-hmm. And in the last few years, as you quite rightly said to me, there's been a run of them being caught with the pants down. Yes, somewhat. So there's a couple of things here. Is it that there are more nefarious dealings in car world these days, or is it just the world we live in now? Eventually, it's going to leak out. I suspect it's probably the latter. I suspect that these things have always been going on. Right. Um, but... What's the latest thing that has spurred this? So, well, we started with Dieselgate. Yeah. That sort of blew up big time for VW and Audi and continues to go on with Rupert Stadler, former Audi boss, being charged formally this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we got Carlos Gosen. Gosen? Gone. Gone. Gosen is gone. Going is is that is actually going? I think I so. don't know what it is. Oh, anyway, who knows? Carlos it doesn't matter anymore, does it? Uh, and this is in Carlos. I don't think has been formally charged with anything, so it's just you know it's mm. we'll, we'll say that to cover our backs. Um, yeah. But he is under investigation by Japanese authorities for uh, miss miss uh, what's the word? Universe miss miss Australia. No, he misappropriating funds. Well, yeah. well, misreporting misreporting his income, uh, which is like a heinous crime in Japan. Um, and, but now we have Ford. So Ford, the power shift uh, dual-clutch transmission. It's been a story for a while in Australia. There was a, I think there was, there was an investigation. They've been fined mm. um, 18 months ago or something. But now it's sort of blown up big time in the US. The D- Detroit Free Press uh, broke the story that essentially Ford knew all along that these transmissions were no good. They were all going to fail, and they released them anyway. So yes, bad eggs. So what? Yeah. So as you say, the the most important point here is: are they just trying to conceal more mistakes and and wanton negligence, or um, is it just that we're hearing about them more these days? I think it's. I mean, it's impossible to. I mean, we'd have to go back in and. But I, I can't think off the top of my head any great scandals of. Oh yes, you know, you look at the the, the Ford Pinto. Oh the, yes, the calculation yes. around yeah, that, you know, that's yeah. really where it starts. No, that's any a good, speed. Yeah, that's um, a good point. The Ford Explorer, the Goodyear tires, that was yeah. another good one. Any number of Japanese manufacturers have been caught out um, not reporting fuel economy figures ah, and that's emissions true. properly. Yep, so that's a good point. So this has been going on forever, right? Okay, I have a theory as to why this is yes. happening. It's not that it's not that they are trying to deceive more. It's the fact that it's our fault. It's our fault. We are asking too much of car companies, or we're asking way more of them than we, we ever have. We as media, or we as car buying consumers? Consumers. Right. People who aren't car brands right. are asking and demanding far more of them. And it's exactly, in all of those examples you just said, uh, um, it's the same can be applied. Um, Dieselgate, we asked those vehicles to produce such tiny emissions mm. that there was no way they could do it and had to find a way of cheating. Mm-hmm. The Pinto, you know, there's, 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 um, they couldn't make that car sufficiently safe, so they just sort of swept it under the carpet and decided that um, the compensation claim uh, uh, pr- over the predicted number of times it's going to happen was cheaper than fixing the problem. Mm. Um, what are some of the other examples? The Takata as well, you know, there's yeah. all of these examples is because we're asking so much of these vehicles. Um, that have to be incredibly stoic and just do their job without complaining. But is that the consumer's fault or is it the company's fault for not sort of manning up and just getting it right before they actually release it? I think every now and then you should just expect one of your legs to fall off when you're driving a car in normal use. Really? Yeah. You know. Seems a low... Seems I, noticed, a low... I noticed you're not a, a, a uni-dexter. <laughs> <laughs> seems no, a low bar to... Someone to... else has taken a bullet for me, probably. Yeah, seems a low bar to hurdle. 
No, no. But I, I honestly think that the reason this is happening is if you think back to the early days of cars. Mm. If the thing just got where you wanted to go, that was enough. Yes. It didn't matter if you'd slaughtered yeah. several, you know, uh, emergency service workers on the way, mm-hmm. or you know, it'd blown up. As well, long as 60, you know, sixties and seventies British era, you know, unions, blah 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 blah. If the thing actually turned on, it was a yeah, exactly, or lasted, or you know, yes. an Italian like the Alpha sort or something. If the, if the, your car was still a car, not a pile of rust after 18 months. <laughs> that was a big success. Yeah, but now that just yes. absolutely wouldn't fly, would it? Well, it's, it's going to be getting even more more difficult because in the next couple of years we have these incredibly stringent emissions laws, you know, fleet averages of 90 grams per kilometre of CO2 and stuff like that, which, mm. you know, at the moment, very few, very few cars at all. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And it's not just car industry. Um, Boeing, there's that ongoing thing with the 737 max yeah. where they released a you know released a plane knowing it could fall out of the sky so yeah. who would have thought a self destruct button in a plane would have such a problematic outcome <laughs> I, I think it, it it speaks to a fundamental change in the way that we perceive the car manufacturer that's gone on over the years though because you know you look back when we were younger and People had a closer relationship. They had they viewed these manufacturers with fondness. You know, you were a Holden family, you were a Ford family, mm. that sort of thing. And now I think people look with a with an element of cynicism. That, it's just a commodity. Yes. Like if you you know, you expect your fridge to work. If my you know, like you say, back in the day, if you're Holden or your Alpha or something, if it had a few niggles, you'd go, oh, but I love it. Whereas if your fridge did that, you'd be like, I hate this fridge. I'm getting it a better one. It's just, mm. a, it's just a thing to do a job. Whereas I think now that's the case with cars. I expect this car to work every day, all the time, with no issues. If I have to, even if I have to service it, that's a pain in the bum. So, yeah, it's, maybe it's part of the whole yeah. loss of car passion. You know, you look at emerging markets like China where you've got, you know, 300 car brands. And yeah. You, know, you don't like that one, don't worry. You know, we'll yep. choose a different one. And Which that's the way it'll go. Again, it'll happen more with um You can do the same with people in China. That's <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. It's like you can see where they've got the idea from. It's just like, that. I don't like that person. We just get rid of them and get another one. We've got plenty of others. I've broken oh, this one. Stalinist, isn't it? Oh, that's what we do on Witch Car Weekly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, once everything's make, you know, once we've got electric motors and everything and everything makes the same noise or lack of noise and it's just a box then. It is. Or if in, in the oh. case of the Hyundai Kona Electric, it's just a box that blows up oh, in your garage. I've annoyed Andy now. Yeah. I've, I've made Andy sad. It's one of another one of my unpopular opinions. Can we have one last one then? And we have to say cheerio. Electric cars are just as much cars as cars with internal combustion engines. No. Well, you well maybe my opinion, a popular opinion is electric performance cars are an utter waste of time, energy, everybody's breath. Well, um, now here's one we are definitely going to have to come back yes to. Yes, we are. Yes, yes, for very good reason that we can't talk about right now. And yes. that seems like a fitting point to say cheerio and goodbye and Afida Zane and all those other words uh, in various languages. And no doubt Andy's going to come back next week, um, not speaking any of them <laughs> in particular of the country he's been to. Konnichiwa. There you go. Anyone got any others? No, we're out of time. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Until next week. Stay safe. Keep bringing back those good stories. My name is Daniel Gardner. I'll talk to you again in seven days. Cheerio.